Let us be silent as Jamie prepares us for worship. He will be playing Beethoven's Hymn to Joy, which featured at the 1901 dedication service for this church building. Tēnā koutou, te whānau o Auckland Unitarians. Tēnā koutou, nā manuhiri. Nā mai, haere mai, ki te hui o te rā nei. Haere mai, ki te kaupapa o te rā. Ko Betsy Marshall, tauko inoa. Nō reira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Welcome all, church whānau and visitors, to this place of worship virtual and physical, made sacred by Auckland Unitarians since the 4th of December, 1901, exactly 122 years ago tomorrow. Today we are celebrating this anniversary as well as beginning to define our future goals to ensure we continue to build upon our rich heritage. Welcome to those joining us remotely, to those here in the building, and to those watching the recording at a later time. We welcome you as you are. You find us as we are. My name is Betsy Marshall, and I'll be leading this service that I have prepared along with Wayne Facer, who is unable to be here today. For those here in person, you are invited to join us for a cup of tea or coffee immediately following our service 
It is our sacrament of hospitality. The opening words are by the Reverend Katie Romano Griffin, an American Unitarian minister. Come, let us enter this space with our sorrows, our joys, our passions, and compassion. Come, let us enter this space with the stories of our ancestors, for their strength and wisdom beats in our hearts. Come into this space, present to the beloved companions who move beside us. Come into this space, mindful, mindful that together we are building a future for other generations. Come, come into this space and let us worship. For the chalice lighting, Rachel will read a poem written by Nancy Fox, a member of our congregation who in the 1960s was editor of Motive, a publication of the New Zealand Unitarian Association. Marjorie Van Roon is the niece of Nancy. The cosmos is, therefore it is unstable and impermanent, changed from moment to moment by the dropping of a petal or the explosion of a sun. I am, therefore I am unstable and impermanent, changed from moment to moment by the scent of a flower or a falling star. If you wish, you're welcome now to recite with us the covenant of our congregation. Which David will put on the screen. Love is the doctrine of this church, the quest for its and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve humankind in fellowship, to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony. Thus do we covenant with each other and with our God. Now Jamie will now play twice, Break Forth Into Joy by Caleb Simper. This hymn was sung in 1901 at the dedication service of the church by the choir, orchestra, with the congregation reportedly having joined in wholeheartedly. <laughs> don't worry, he's playing, we don't need to sing. <laughs>
that's wonderful. And to think that in 1901, of course, there was no organ. That was the orchestra and the choir singing, but today we have our wonderfully restored organ and Jamie to play it. Together we, today, celebrate the opening of this building exactly 122 years ago, tomorrow. As Clay Nelson said in his service for new members in 2015, the anniversary of this building is a time to be reminded that we didn't get here out of nothing. We are connected to those who came before and others in the future will be connected to us, a reminder of our oneness. The focus of today is not just on the past, but also on our aspirations for the future. Hopefully a future in which Auckland Unitarians continue as a vibrant faith community as well as a force for social and political good. Today I'm able to highlight some of our forebearers and their achievements thanks to the scholarship and years of painstaking research by Wayne Facer, our church historian. Without Wayne, we might not have known that while other clergy in Auckland were invited to attend the opening of this building in 1901, none did. Also, the night before the opening, someone painted, this is the house of the devil on the outside. This historical information and more, as gathered by Wayne, can be found in his two published books. Thanks to Paul Howarth, some of this information, including Wayne's entries to various biographical databases, also is available on our church website, which is great because in the time we have this morning, it's impossible to summarize our history or identify all Unitarians in New Zealand who clearly made their mark on history. During the past year, I've had the privilege of working alongside Wayne and David Fougier in revising the church trustee. This process would not have been possible without Wayne's historical knowledge, including his knowledge of the likely intentions of those who first developed the first trustee. Over the next few months, you will be hearing more about our process and how today's service will be contributing to it. I'd also like to acknowledge John Maindonald, who I'm hoping is online today. John is a long-standing member of this church. Although John now lives in Wellington, he continues to be involved in our Zoom services. John's excellent and well-researched book, A Radical Religious Heritage, can be downloaded from our website. As a starting point for today, and as Clay did in 2015, I will try to give a whirlwind tour of some of the people who have gone before us. Then we'll have a chance to break into groups to tell our individual stories as Unitarians and how we might envision the future. The first Unitarian congregation was established in Auckland in the 1860s. As many of you will know, especially if you've read Wayne's book, A Vision Splendid, William Jelly, who was there, thank you, was the first minister of this, the second Unitarian congregation. Arriving in New Zealand in 1900, Jelly brought a cultured and intellectual view of liberal religion to colonial life. He not only founded this church, but also was instrumental in expanding the cause to other centers in New Zealand. 
What particularly interests me about Jelly is that in his final year of study at Oxford, a course in sociology, economics, and social problems shaped his worldview. Taught by Philip Wicksteed, a Unitarian minister and economist, the course dealt with inequality and human suffering, and in doing so made it plain that a Unitarian minister was expected to address these issues and not ignore them. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the architect Thomas Henry White, who you'll see here. It was White and Jelly who searched for suitable building sites around Auckland and settled on this one, which the newly formed trust, trust leased from the city council. White then designed the church and chaired the committee responsible for building it. Some of you may be aware that over the past 30 years or so, our church has been able to apply to the Annie Muriel Newland Trust for building-related funds. Annie's uh, parents, who are shown here um, in a moment, <laughs> were founding members, they will be there in a minute, of the church in 1898. Charles Newland, Jelly, and the church's solicitor formed a committee to draft a new set of rules and the trust deed. It's this trust deed that Wayne, David, and I on behalf of the trustees, have been trying to untangle over the past year. When Annie, the daughter, died in the late 1980s, she bequeathed money that enabled us to freehold the land from the council for this building. A trust was formed with the remaining funds, which has assisted us in undertaking some vital building-related work over the past 30 years. Many of you also will be familiar with the Mackey family, with Joseph Cochran Mackey, pictured here, soon to come, um, being one of the founding trustees of the church. In 1903, Joseph Mackey paid for our Croft organ, which was installed in 1904. The Mackey Trust that he established to further Unitarianism in New Zealand made a grant to the church to help fund clay for the first five years of his nine-year ministry. Some of us continue to meet on a regular basis with descendants of Joseph Mackey who maintain a keen interest in the church and its activities. As many of you will know, a number of our Unitarian ancestors were prominent New Zealanders recognized for their commitment to social justice. An example is Harriet Morrison, who in 1918 there she is, um, who in 1918 was a member of the church management committee and from 1923 was our first chairwoman. Prior to her involvement in our church, Morrison had already secured her place in history. She is one of the five women portrayed with Kate Shepherd in her memorial in Christchurch for her work to win women's suffrage. And you can see um, she's the one, uh, Harriet Morrison, is the one holding the wheelbarrow full of camellias. According to the New Zealand Council of Trained Union website, Morrison leaves an important legacy as a unionist, suffragist, and feminist. She is an example of the strong connections between women workers and their fight for women's rights in Aotearoa, New Zealand. William and Wilma Constable, shown here, 
had a very successful joint ministry in our church from 1929 to 1934. Wilna had the distinction of being the first woman minister in New Zealand, apart from women's Salvation Army officers. Through her role on the Auckland Executive of the National Council of Women, she ensured that the NCW led the successful lobbying for a change in the Marriage Act to allow women to officiate at weddings. James Chapel, shown here, was a notable figure over three decades in our history. An early member of the Socialist Party, he left the Presbyterians to join our Unitarians, who built a church for him in Timoru, which um, is still in existence today. Due to the op his opposition to World War I, in 1914, Chapel and his family left for America, where he engaged in anti-war and socialism. When America entered World War I, he returned to New Zealand, where his supporters had started a Unitarian church in Christchurch, where he then served. After speaking out publicly against the war in 1918, he was convicted of sedition and sentenced to 11 months imprisonment. The central character in Morris G.'s novel Plum, which many of you will know, was based upon James Chapel, who was G's grandfather. Several Auckland social service organizations were started or housed in our church. By 1969, CARE, or the Citizens Association for Racial Equality, in conjunction with the WEA, the Workers' Educational Association, had set up in the basement of our church English classes for new citizens, a homework center for high school pupils, and Māori and Samoan classes for beginners. Both CARE and the WEA were based in our church at the time. Moreover, during the time the Civil Maimed Association started its first daycare center in our church with the support of leading church members. As many of you will know, our church also had strong connections with several prominent writers, poets, and musicians. Frank Sargison, New Zealand's famous short story writer, was a fan of the Reverend Albert Thornhill, who was a minister here from 1920 to 1932. I like this one. Apparently, Sir Sargison liked it when Thor Thornhill gave the Baptists around the corner hell. Our <laughs> church is featured in one of Sargison's short stories. Hone Taufari, with a Māori and Scottish background, was one of the leading New Zealand poets of the 20th century. In the 1950s, he was active in the Workers' Educational Association, and in the 1960s, he attended services here with his family. His poetry appeared in several issues of the journal Motive, the publication of the New Zealand Society of Unitarians. Here you can see Helen Clark congratulating him on being the first recipient of the Prime Minister's Poetry Award in 2003. In the 1960s, music became especially important to our church through the involvement of Thelma and Noel Blythe, parents of Anne, who I am delighted is here today. Having read about Unitarians in an American book about comparative religion, they first came to our church in 1965 to find no minister, no young people, and attendance of about five to ten. The, the Blythes had a background in professional ballroom dance, and Thelma was an up-and-coming guitarist. 
Thelma used her musical talent at the church and formed the Rafters Folk Club, which met upstairs in the gallery and had great success. The upstairs gallery also was open to the public on Friday evenings and thanks to Wayne Facer, offered discussion groups and invited um, speakers. Numbers continued to grow, Sunday attendance well over 100, with large number of children. Publicity was generated in a lot of pre print media about the family program at our church, culminating in a center double page spread in the New Zealand Herald. Sadly, the church committee did not see fit to reimburse the Blythes for their expenses, leaving them with no option but to resign from their role. One of the legacies, one of the many legacies of the Blythes is the Rafters Folk Club, which still meets today. Now at the outset, I promised a whirlwind tour of some of the people who have gone before us. I'd urge you all, please, to read what's on the website and in the books of Wayne and John. Suffice it to say that with such an impressive history, we have a responsibility to do all we can to build upon this legacy. Now please join us as we say the words for extinguishing the chalice. And Corrine, thank you if you could do that. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. Where's the snuffer? Thank you, Corrine. I'm glad you did it. <laughs>